Hello, fight fans. It is Thursday, March 8th, and this is the Fistionados Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rakowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening on your screen and behind the scenes. So let's start with the review of what happened February 24th at the Forum in LA. I was in the arena at the fights. Incredible atmosphere, and what can you say about the LA fans? I loved it. Booing during the Nietes fight was just, that was really something else. That was incredible. Uh, quick results from the card on HBO. Sri Saket Sorangvisai win 12 majority decision over Juan Francisco Estrada. McWilliams Arroyo uh, win 10 over Carlos Cuadras. Dani Nietes KO7 over Juan Carlos Rebeco. Uh, the TV viewership, the fight averaged 639,000 viewers. It peaked at 753,000. Really good night for HBO overall. Not a great TV number, but this is something that's really just for hardcore fight fans to love. Mainstream fight fans are never going to buy into this all that much, I think, or they're going to take a lot more conditioning to get used to it. Um, it's also just an interesting, it's an interesting experiment for HBO. The whole reason they got into this weight class was Chocolatito, and he lost in such dramatic fashion with just early on in the way that this the these car like this weight class was showcased i know he was on a couple of pay-per-view undercards but in terms of of superfly getting set up it was such a great action card but it's really tough when you lose your quote-unquote big star your pound for pound number one fighter um so early on with this process and i think if you're a hardcore fight fan which is basically the audience that's listening to me talk you just have to applaud HBO's commitment to this. Um, it, you know, the other thing is for you guys and and gals for that matter, applaud these cards. They don't cost all that much, so you can probably get two of these kind of cards for every one, you know, of your more expensive like big quote unquote star. Uh, they don't take a huge bite out of HBO's boxing budget, um, and and that's something you know, to appreciate, especially if you like all the action that comes with these fights. One of the things I want to talk about briefly, uh, I, I will pepper in purse numbers from time to time here, uh, but I thought, I thought this one was important to tackle it uh, sort of head on. The reported purses for this fight were Sorung Visai 250K, Estrada 100K, Quadras 25K, Arroyo 25K, Nietes 40k, Rebecca 30k. Here's what I'll say about this. Just note that Brian Valoria made 50k in the non-televised portion of the card. And what's the takeaway from this? It's really that reported purses may not actually be what these guys get paid. Steve Kim said it best on his podcast he does with Gabriel Montoya two weeks ago. It's just a number that they write down for the commission. And, and really how it works, HBO pays a license fee to the promoter for the fight, and then that promoter writes a check to each fighter. And here's my example. So 
maybe Sor Rungbeside did get paid 250k from Loeffler. Maybe he didn't. He, he, I'm guessing he got paid more. He either way, he probably got paid a huge percentage of the Thai TV rights, which because of his stature could be worth a ton of money. Uh, and you know, maybe even 50% of his total pay. So that's that's really something to consider. And I think if you look at all these fighters. Estrada and Cuadras are from Mexico, Arroyo's from Puerto Rico, Nieta's from uh, the Philippines, Rebecca from Argentina. Pretty good bet that all those fighters got either other money from the foreign TV rights or they're just incorrectly listing their salary for tax purposes. I'm not accusing anybody of doing anything here, but the number they report to the California Commission is just... it's just the number that they actually put down. That's all. I can tell you, though, all these numbers, they add up to 470K overall. And from experience, I'm guessing HBO paid Loeffler significantly more than 400K, 470K to televise these fights. You know, the gate alone at Staples was probably more than that. Um, but look, that's a sidebar overall great night for fight fans great certainly great night for everybody in the arena and and great night for hbo now let's go to the next march 3rd results this is where it gets really interesting so showtime deontay wilder ko 10 over luis ortiz jose uzcateki tko 9 over andre Durrell. showtime averages 1.055 million people peaking at 1.181 million um, HBO average 599k peaking at 674k Sergey Kovalev TKO7 over Igor Mikalkin Dmitry Bivol KO12 over Sullivan Barrera for context the UFC 222 prelims averaged 905k and the pay-per-view itself did 340 to 380k buys based on estimates so what do we what's the takeaway here what a night for Deontay Wilder I will eat crow when I get it wrong but in my last podcast I said that that fight could be you know one of the fights of the year and wow what a night for Deontay Wilder so the big winners here Number one is Deontay Wilder. Here's what I'll say about this. Deontay Wilder surviving round seven and coming back to win might have actually, it it might have made him $50 million. I tweeted about this a lot. Uh, I probably should do a better job of promoting this. It's at Fistionado's pod on Twitter. And I actually got a, a, a Twitter question that I'll get to later. But think about this if you're Deontay Wilder. And, and I know there's, there's a lot to say. You know, we can get into his stances wide. We can get into a lot of his weaknesses. I think all that makes him super exciting no matter what. But just think about this. Think about this part. If he loses to, to Luis Ortiz and he got paid a reported $2.1 million dollars, for the, for the Ortiz fight. 
Which is a lot of money, especially to fight on Showtime or HBO. That's about the best deal that you're going to get as a fighter to fight, not on pay-per-view. But if he loses, he still probably can fight Anthony Joshua. But he gets a Joseph Parker type deal. He doesn't have a belt. You know, Parker has a belt, but he basically loses all his leverage to fight Anthony Joshua. He has to go over to the UK. Um, you know, Parker's basically getting seven or eight million bucks. That's probably what he would get. It's still way better than making two point one million dollars to fight on Showtime. Don't get me wrong, but you're not setting yourself up for success in the fight against Anthony Joshua. He wins. Anthony Joshua is probably coming to Las Vegas. They're getting a huge gate. They're both undefeated, both with belts. Huge gate with a bunch of people flying over from the UK. So ticket demand will be high. Mind you, just for comparison's sake, Canelo Golovkin did $27 million in their first fight just at the gate alone in Las Vegas. Chris Mannix had a great podcast post-fight where he talked about um, with Dan Raphael and, 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 you know, a few others. They talked about when the fight would actually happen. I think Keith Eideck and Dan both said next year and, you know, summer of next year, something like that. And some people might be disappointed by that. That's the right time to do it. Uh, you need enough time to build up both fighters. I've talked about this before on the podcast, but if you work for either Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder at this point, your responsibility is to make that fight as big as possible. And the difference between building that fight up properly and not is tens of millions of dollars in revenue to the fight. And that makes a big difference in, in these guys' lives, um, especially Deontay Wilder. He doesn't have the same, you know, Anthony Joshua doesn't need to fight Deontay Wilder, but Deontay Wilder, that's life-changing money for him. So if built up properly, when you factor in all that and, and even possibly a rematch, I mean, if that fight does 500,000 pay-per-view buys, which I think if built up properly, it can do close to a million, but it certainly can do, and, and as I've talked about before, we're not even close to there yet, especially with Anthony Joshua and his TV numbers. It, it's going to take a lot of work, and you definitely have to bring him over to the United States. But if you build it up properly, the gate alone, the UK foreign money, and 500,000 pay-per-view buys, I mean, that, that fights at least, that's 15 or 20 million bucks at least to Deontay Wilder, and a rematch is huge if it's a great fight. And going into the fight, if he's undefeated, there's a good chance he gets a rematch. You know, even if he gets knocked out, if the fight's good, you know, those two fights to Wilder could be worth 50 or 60 million bucks. So think about what that seventh round was for him. He's in shape, he gets hurt, and he survives it and comes back and gets the knockout. What, what a crazy moment for him. What a great moment for him. Uh, kudos to him. It was a great fight. The technical deficiencies of both fighters contributed to it being a great fight. And, you, and Deontay Wilder has great heart. We didn't know that about him before he stepped in the ring. So kudos to him. 
another big winner from the night is Showtime in general. Uh, I think I've spoke about this before. There have only been a few times in history that Showtime has gone head-to-head with HBO and actually won in the ratings battle. This time they crushed HBO in the ratings. You, th- There is even an outside chance. I don't know that this is going to be looked at as the moment, but there's an outside chance we could look back at this and this could be the night where Showtime established themselves in the public eye as the destination for the top boxing. A lot of people around the sport have have known, not known, that's the incorrect term, but they've been saying that um, for quite a while, you know, for at least a year. But I think you had yet to see this just where the entire public knew to tune into Showtime going head-to-head directly with HBO. And also, when you take a look at when HBO and Showtime go uh, head-to-head against each other, usually numbers for both are down. That just wasn't the case here. And I don't think that, you know, the Nielsen rating doesn't take into account the hardcore fans who streamed Showtime's fight while they watched HBO's on television. And you had to do that because HBO doesn't offer an option to stream the live fights if you subscribe directly to HBO. If you have HBO now or if you subscribe to it, you know, not on Hulu. It was pointed out to me on Twitter. You can uh, stream it over Hulu, which is excellent. But I think there's a significant amount of viewership that came from hardcore fans who watched the HBO live on television and streamed the Showtime fight. That is also, that's really significant. They almost doubled HBO's number. That's, I mean, and, and that's just, that's incredible. Like, they, it's not like they just went head-to-head and won, but they almost doubled it. Um, and HBO had a star on. Now, I know the fight wasn't competitive on HBO, but they did put a star on in, in Kovalev. Um, and, and the other good news for Showtime, it wasn't just like they won the ratings battle but put on a lackluster fight that didn't deliver and left people frustrated. This was a fight of the year candidate. So, you know, huge Showtime's a huge winner too. I, I don't know that they're quite on the same level as, as Deontay Wilder. Maybe, though, we will look back at this and say this was a major turning point in, in the public, the public's view of who's the premier destination for for boxing so who knows maybe maybe we will look back at that and think that the other big winner of the night dimitri bivol um he comprehensively beats barrera and honestly he looks like he's as good if not better than anyone in the division i don't know that there's anyone you know, we still need to see some more from him, and he's not there yet as a draw. I think, you know, the other the other takeaway from it is we're not going to see Kovalev versus Barrera next. Uh, sorry, versus Bivol next. Bivol's just not. He's not there yet as a draw. It kind of it's too bad for him that his fight basically took place at the same exact time as the Wilder Ortiz fight because. Most people, you know, Bevel is great of a statement as it was for him. It just wasn't a competitive fight. Uh, and all eyes were on Wilder Ortiz. Um, but overall, 
he's still a big winner. You still you you're gonna have to see his next fight. You want to see him put out people, uh, you know, more quickly, and you definitely want to see him fight Kovalev or or anyone else in the division for that matter. You know, he's just one to keep an eye on. So this week, I thought, especially in light of everything that's happening with Canelo Triple G, and I'll get to the drug test later, I thought my, the deep dive would be what it's like to work on a pay-per-view fight. I've done a bunch of these, and this, you know, when the fighters and the promoters, when they go out and they do all the press conferences, you know, the, sort of the, all the promotion that you hear about pre-fight, that's kind of the time where everything gets kicked off. You know, some of the work does get done before that, but, you know, there's some planning in terms of, of some of the pre-fight promotion. The, the, you know, you're, usually when the fighters get together to do the press conferences, that's the only time you're going to have them not in training camp where you can shoot some marketing assets, you can shoot some, some video, some stuff like that. And then the fighters sort of head to camp and, and the real work begins for everybody. So certainly from my experience, from the HBO perspective, there is a dedicated pay-per-view team and a marketing team. And you're going to be working on sort of varying degrees of the following things. You're going to be shooting any promotional materials at the press conferences, like I said earlier. The affiliates are going to be shooting some of that stuff. The, you know, the TV commercial you're working on the theme of the TV commercial, any other special needs, like this is where you have the fighters to do everything. Sometimes actually for non-pay-per-view fights at the press conference, we'll actually do a photo shoot just to get assets done, you know, to make a poster, to, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, sometimes actually what you, the, the art you see at the press conferences, temporary art, you know, we call it temp art, but sometimes it's actually the real art. Sometimes we make it, you know, way ahead of time. HBO can play a varying role in all of these. If it's a fight on HBO, we have a huge amount, or we would have a huge amount of control over what happens for that. But when it comes to pay-per-view, I mean, HBO is really the distributor and it just depends who you're working with. Golden Boy is a company and, and Top Rank's a company. They both, they have dedicated employees who work on the art. They make a lot of the materials. And so they, you know, in Golden Boy's case, they a lot of times they hire their own people to do the commercial. Um, sometimes, like with Rock Nation and Main Events, they would use just HBO's people to do the commercial. Um, I'm obviously biased. I prefer the HBO people. Uh, I worked with those people though, you know, week in and week out, and I know how they work. If you want to go back and, and look at what commercials you thought were effective, I mean, the people I'm talking to, you guys are mostly hardcore fight fans, and you're able to judge for yourself, but I felt like a lot of times the commercials would do a good job in convincing fans that were on the fence whether to or you know unfortunately sometimes not by the fight i think i would actually say i think many times if you make a bad commercial spot it doesn't affect the pay-per-view buys negatively 
but if you make a really great one, it can have a, a, a very positive uh, effect on some of this stuff. But go back and look for yourselves. Kodo Canelo, Ward Kovalev, those spots were made by HBO's internal team. Golden Boy hired the, the people that did Canelo Chavez, Canelo Smith, uh, Canelo Triple G. I think the HBO people did a great job. Golden Boy, to me, had more of a mixed record with it, but... You know, I thought, to be fair to them, I thought the Canelo Triple G spot was, was pretty good. And these the same the same people for all of them. Um, besides the commercial spot, you're doing so much other work. You're, there's a preview show. So there's a show that goes to affiliates. It's just 30 minutes. And when you go to the channel on your, if you subscribe to cable still, if you go to the cable channel, there's just a show they have on loop on the pay-per-view channel that previews the show and get people, you know, trying to get people excited about it. Um, you know, I did everything from essentially producing the show in some cases to just sort of approving other people's work, uh, going over themes for it, stuff like that. There, there's other things that happen too with, you know, the main thing that my group worked on, but there's a lot of groups at HBO that are sort of concurrently doing a whole lot of different things, you know, is the actual media spend, which you're spending a huge amount of money. And to me, it's super interesting. I mean, it's still what I do today for a different company where I'm now I am essentially the head of the marketing group uh, at adaptive studios and, and do this just in a different capacity essentially, but you're spending a lot of money and you're trying to generate pay-per-view buys, um, in a really efficient way. And for the most part, like I mentioned earlier, we aren't interested in convincing people who listen to this podcast to buy the fight. You know, you guys are sort of the hardcore fans who, have an innate ability to determine whether the fight is worth your money or not. You know, you're like, okay, this one doesn't feel like it should be on pay-per-view. This one feels like it's definitely a pay-per-view fight. I'm super excited for it. Um, you guys know that we are out there to try to convince the, you know, the, the people who might be casual boxing fans or um, just sort of, super casual boxing fans who aren't quite as I don't intelligent is the wrong word but they get excited about boxing at the right moments and you know we're trying to eventize the fight and you know get those people they're sort of more general sports fans who maybe are conditioned to watch boxing two or three times a year we're trying to convince them that this pay-per-view is worthy of their of their money and there's going to be all kinds of different tactics i mean when you eventize something like that you're buying all kinds of digital media you're buying all kinds of tv ads billboards uh, it can be stuff as simple as just paying for a newspaper ad you know i also was purchasing there's a lot of and this gets on the nerdier side of it. There's a lot of targeting and retargeting. I mean, <laughs> we've I've bought media before where if you own a smart TV, it's able to identify specific 
television programs that I know there's a great percentage that if you watch that TV program, you will convert to buying a boxing pay-per-view. And if you're watching that TV program, it will deliver a digital ad to either your smartphone or your tablet while you're watching that TV program. So there's all kinds, I mean, it gets as super targeted as that, and it gets as general as we spent a lot of money buying an ad on Monday Night Football leading up to the fight. Um, it gets complicated with affiliate buys. There are certain times where you can only spend a certain amount of money in certain cities or with certain uh, cable systems. It gets very complicated. That's mostly nerdy marketing stuff, but overall to me it's really fun and then I'm doing the media mind there's other marketing people working on social media strategies from like the HBO handles there's HBO.com which publishes a lot of boxing articles just boxing content in general there's on-air marketing strategies that uh, go into creating a good and this is more for 24-7, but a good um, sort of 24-7 spot that then messages the fight and they place it around the right TV programs on HBO. And just to be clear overall, it's a super busy time for marketing. If you work on marketing at HBO, HBO, the overall strategy when it comes to this is they want to televise one or two really, usually sometimes even two or three big fights leading up to the pay-per-view um, and have a 24-7. The 24-7s generally perform better when they air after a fight. So, And then and then you always want to have a big fight leading up to the pay-per-view, at least one. And you're doing all this at the same time. So it just gets crazy and you want to make sure one thing leads into another. And, and a lot of times the best advertisement for a pay-per-view is a big fight the week before that gets people excited about boxing in general. Um, you also have to remember that there, there's two things to consider with all of this when it comes down to what HBO's strategy is, is for this. And, and Showtime is the same way, by the way, for this. And ESPN will be too whenever they actually get into pay-per-view. You know, when it's a pay-per-view fight, you don't have to be an HBO or Showtime subscriber to purchase it. So HBO and Showtime are obviously going to put more care into what goes on their air in terms of, not necessarily in terms of marketing the fight, but just in terms of the look and the craft and the feel of it. Um, but the flip side is that you take a lot of pride in the pay-per-view, certainly the expected number compared to what the real number is, but just the numbers overall in the pay-per-view. I mean, you're, these are people you work with a lot of times on a week-to-week -week basis. You know them, and you're, if you work at a place like HBO or Showtime, your job is usually very secure. I mean, those are big established companies that have been around for a long time, and it's not to say that the smaller, you know, any boxing promotional company is going to be smaller, but 
their financial years can vary tremendously based on how well a lot of times the work that HBO or Showtime does on the pay-per-views. We would take a lot of pride in that. I mean, these are people, again, we worked with week in, week out. We want them to succeed like we really do, and it, and it, and it meant a lot. Um, but going back to just some of the overall stuff, there's a PR group that's working on getting articles leading up to the fight. And I think the biggest thing that the marketing and the PR group that, that they do together is you got to get the theme of the fight correct. And that's the biggest difference between just being sort of a marketing person who's looking at numbers and trying to get these media buys correct and understanding that you're staying on message because a lot of these things, they all work concurrently. And if the paid media has the same message as the public relations and sort of fighter interview and journalist, if, if everybody is sort of able to stay on message in the same way, the pay-per-view just makes a lot of sense and it performs a lot better. Um, you know, and then as, as fight week gets closer, you get into really a lot of the nerdy marketing stuff where you're sizing assets correctly and doing everything to spec. You're tagging everything correctly on the TV spots. A lot of stuff might not even make sense to you guys, but what the last thing that does make sense is usually we, if there's a big fight, we have a, a radio row out in Las Vegas where a lot of radio stations come out and we're out there not only making sure that all the marketing assets are delivered correctly, but you're sort of shuffling people from radio station to radio station and making sure that that theme and that message is, you know, is really delivered. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of craziness, but it's a lot of fun. Um, that's kind of what it's like. It's something I loved doing. And, you know, as a hardcore fan, I think you could probably appreciate how much fun it, it, it is to not just sort of put your from my standpoint it was, it, it was marketing but there were plenty of other people who worked at the company who applied their skill set towards something that was just so much fun to work on um, were there times where pay-per-views you know th there were there were pay-per-views that the promoters could not agree on anything and they were super challenging to work on and then there were times where it, it was super nice, super congenial. Everything went smoothly. Um, unfortunately, that had really no effect on how well the pay-per-view performed. Sometimes the ones with the most tension did great. Other times they did super, they did terrible. Um, I think a lot of that just comes down to how good of a fight got made, how established the stars were, were they American or foreign, and how well everyone stayed on message when they went out there and, and you know, put their message and the theme out, out into the universe. So that's the deep dive. There's a news and note that <laughs> I think 
everyone's aware of after this week. So Canelo fails a drug test for clenbuterol. And I spoke about PEDs at the end of, of my last episode. And actually, I got this question on Twitter. At uh, my81babyblue, Troy W. asked me this question. He said, what do you do from a marketing perspective when your star tests positive? Well, here's the deal. When it comes to drug testing, I'm going to defer to listen to the podcast that Steve Kim and Gabriel Montoya did with Victor Conte earlier this week. They're going to articulate it much better than I can. If I were to sum up my the way I feel about this, I think we should test for health as a sport. I don't necessarily think we should like trace elements of this, trace elements of that. It's kind of like, from my attitude, it's like, who really cares about that stuff? You can get a tainted supplement. You can do all this kind of stuff. Did Canelo probably, did he have tainted meat? He probably did. But, but there's a lot of, is in terms of how plausible that story is, it is plausible. Is it responsible by Canelo? No, it's incredibly irresponsible. Canelo should have a huge amount of control over, over exactly what he consumes, especially in his position. He has so much to lose. But going back to Troy's question, what do you do when your star test positive? When it's a big pay-per-view fight list like this, you don't do anything. You know, if this was a fight on HBO or Showtime, whole different story. You know, HBO or Showtime or ESPN now, they would not want to put on a fight where one, you know, they wouldn't want to put on a fight on the network where one guy has failed a drug test and, you know, there's all this cause and question about a lot of this stuff. I mean, there's precedent for this. You know, with Amir Khan and Lamont Peterson, um, when it's a big star on pay-per-view, HBO and Showtime, and whenever ESPN gets into it, we're the distributors for this kind of stuff. This is really, specifically here, this is a Golden Boy and K2 issue, and they have so much money at stake, they're just going to put on the fight, and I don't necessarily blame them. Now, the Nevada State Athletic Commission could do something about it, but they rely on Canelo. I mean, they make their money by taking a percentage of the ticket sales. So, okay, if you're Triple G, you could pull out of the fight. So he really has no incentive to do this. Why would he do it? This is a, another career high payday for him. He, the first one was his career high payday. He's making so much more money fighting Canelo than he is against any other fighter. It's also an opportunity for him to get like that official W. I know a lot of people he thought he won the last fight. I certainly did. Um, and, and it's you know the time for potentially him to take over as like the guy. Like at this point, two fights against Canelo, and you sort of and especially if you beat him emphatically this time, you can take over as like the pay per view guy in the United States right now. And hopefully, you've converted a lot of Canelo's fan base over to you in the same way that Manny did. Uh, even in the worst case scenario for him, there's like there's a built-in storyline for a third fight with Canelo if he loses. It's basically like, oh, you drew the first fight, but Triple G really won. If Canelo wins the second fight, it's like, oh, he was juicing. Whether he was or not, I mean, I think you've heard my opinion earlier on it. But 
it's just that's a storyline. So so what happens now? Everyone just proceeds as normal. This is just part of the storyline, and it and now it's a talking point. Would I push it? No, but it's going to come out no matter what. Someone will inevitably write an article that says the sport isn't clean, the fight shouldn't happen, and you know, in the end, that's just going to help the fight. It's a great fight. It's you already saw the first version of it, and this one is probably going to be just as good, if not better. Um, it just adds drama to it. It's just another storyline. But no one here has any incentive to call off the fight. Canelo certainly doesn't. You know, he. it's in his best interest to just act as if this was just contaminated meat and then, and then move on. So that's your answer. It's also by the time they've done the, you know, by the time they've gone into camp and they've done the press conferences and all that, that stuff costs so much money to do that no one wants to just cancel it after all that stuff. That I mean, you've spent a, like well into six figures at that point of, you know, putting on all that stuff. So no one wants to do anything. Trust me. I wish, you know, I'll end it the same way I did last time when I talked about the PEDs. I wish I had a better answer for you. I want a clean sport. Uh, I think these guys should be tested for health. But this is how it's going to happen. And we all know we're going to watch the fight. So there you have it. So let's do a, a, a preview of the upcoming fights. The March 10th, March 17th fights. March 10th Showtime, Mikey Garcia versus Sergey Lipinets. That's Garcia's a 20 to 1 favorite there. Ramsey's Bartholomew versus Kiro Relic. Um, that fight's actually Bartholomew's only 2 to 1 favorite, so it's matched really well. You know, Mikey Garcia, I love Mikey Garcia. I don't necessarily, I don't really need to see this fight. Um, there's a storyline, it's at least for a 140 pound title. There's some kind of narrative. Um, and, you know, the undercard's matched well, but neither guy has a real reputation as a TV friendly fighter. Who knows? That uh, comes on at the same time as the ESPN fight. Uh, ESPN Oscar Valdez fighting Scott Quigg. This to me is a great one. Valdez is roughly a three to one favorite over Quigg, but it just falls into the category of really well matched, great fight, great action fight. Um, Valdez holds a featherweight title, and when you look at like the rankings in ESPN and Ring TV, it's you know they're both ranked pretty high. They're both in like the top. I think, you know, one of them has four versus nine, the other six versus eight, you know, but just stylistically from a pure action perspective, it's a great fight. Um, this division two, just tons of great fights that can be made. And, and a lot of them are already scheduled. It's a PBC and UK dominated division. You know, there's Santa Cruz, Maris, Gary Russell, there's Carl Frampton, Lee Selby and Quig. There's just so many great potential fights. Um, I also think Top Rank does a really good job with this kind of stuff where they get to a certain point with a prospect and then they just say, let's see what really what we really have with this guy. Um, you know, Valdez is an interesting case here. He kind of, when he missed a lot of the traditional Top Rank build-up fights that a lot of their fighters would have on HBO. He was on a lot of pay-per-view undercards. And then his last two fights, not as many people saw. 
and we saw some big questions. I mean, he got dropped in one of them. He, you know, he's just a guy that was sort of a can't miss prospect, and now we've seen him face some adversity against guys that weren't super talented. Um, and he's in a loaded weight class, so I think from Top Rank's perspective, is they really need to ask themselves: Are they going to invest in this division or not? And this is a classic: throw him into the fire, see what he's got. You know, Quig has only lost to Frampton. hasn't been you know he hasn't faced the greatest competition uh, for someone of his stature, but he's a legit tough fight for Valdez. And, you know, either way, you got some great matchups coming up in the division. I think Santa Cruz and Morris are fighting Gary Russell, Jojo Diaz, Frampton, Nonito Donaire, Josh Selby, uh, Lee Selby, Josh Warrington. Those are all great fights. Enjoy this division. It's got some good stuff coming up. Um, we'll end on March 17th. ESPN, Jose Ramirez fighting Amir Iman. Uh, I like this fight. It's lesser profile, but I think it could be a good uh, action fight. Undercard's got some big names, but, you know, not nothing that great, let's be honest. Vazdik is fighting somebody I've never heard of for a WBC interim title. Excuse me. Um, there's really no reason to be interim. I've talked about the horse trading last week, you know, but this is really just... Top ranks obviously want to get Vazdik in good position for some of these fights. You know, and then the other guys on the card, Verdejo, Pedraza, Mikey Conlon's fighting. Let's 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 see. I guess you could you can make a case that Verdejo, and I think Verdejo and Pedraza are fighting on the ESPN app. You can make a case that Verdejo might have a tough fighter, but all those other matches, whatever. Um, and and to be fair, there's not even odds out on these fights. Just on any of these fights for this card because there's just not too much happening. But I want to close on a bad note. I still think the Ramirez-Aman fight is a really good one. And I think, you know, certainly the other fight on ESPN on March 10th, the, you know, Quig and, and Valdez is really good. And then let's just, you know, let's leave it at how, how it, we should leave it. Props to Deontay Wilder. Props to Showtime. Great night for both of them. That's a fight of the year candidate, and we're we've gotten two heavyweight fights in the last two years that are as good as any we've seen in the previous ten, maybe even fifteen. Um, so enjoy that stuff and 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 soak it in. I think we're set up for another great fight probably next year with Wilder and AJ. Um, and, and even to be fair to Ortiz, I think he can get an AJ fight too, but I'll talk more about that uh, when I preview Anthony Joshua versus Joseph Parker next episode. You know, So I'll be back in two weeks to talk about that. Until then, bye guys.